This is the Horse Radio Network. Caroline is headed to Germany for the World Equestrian Festival in Aachen, and we're jealous. This week, we'll discuss Great Meadow and why the Nation's Cup there is a big deal for eventing. From dictator to best friends and all the coaching styles in between, and the blood rule strikes again, this time in Show Jumping's Global Champions League. From Heels Down Magazine, a podcast where three horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy Hour! I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Caroline Colbertson. And welcome to episode two of Heels Down Happy Hour. Thanks for drinking with us. This episode is presented by EcoGold, leader in saddle pad innovation. Known for their non-slip, shock-absorbing saddle pads, half pads, and protective horse boots. Trusted by Olympians. All right, so I am drinking a Moscow Mule right now out of my copper mug, and it is so cold and so delicious on this hot, muggy Florida day. Do you guys, are you guys fans of ginger beer? Do you like a Moscow Mule? I'm I, a bit unclear as to what's actually in a Moscow Mule. Really? Oh, is I is love there a cucumber? Am I making that up? Is that a different thing? There is no cucumber, no. Uh, no. <laughs> no. So. Are there any vegetables? Uh, a lime, I guess. And yeah. I know some people who put mint, like they, they crush like mint into it, but I'm not into that. So like the classic Moscow mule is, uh, enough ice to make it really cold. It, ha- it has to be like a really cold, refreshing drink, but it's ice and vodka. And I prefer Tito's. So that's the vodka I'm using right now, uh, with some lime and ginger beer. Ooh. Have you ever had good. Yeah, have I've, you had ginger beer before? I've had ginger beer before, um, and I I do like that. But I and I like I know I've had a Moscow Mule, but for some reason I can't really think of. I never know what's in it. That says a lot about me that I drink drinks, and I'm like I don't know what's in it, but I'll drink it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it's always the ones in the copper mugs. They're awesome. Yeah, they are awesome. There's a guy at like my local's farmers market who has a little cart who just makes ginger beer. Like he makes it. It's like you know one of those hipster artisan things that he makes his own ginger beer. Your life is so hipster. (laughs) I know. The first first episode. Yeah, you're like, well, I'm just having a um, (laughs) like I've muddled some jalapenos in my tequila and (laughs) from my garden. Like you're such a closet hipster. I love it so much. We live in like a little artsy, hipster kind of town. So I can't help it that I buy my ginger beer from the local guy at the farm's market. I thought ginger beer just came from the grocery store where you got out of the like can. Like I didn't even know you could make your own. Yeah, that's pretty impressive, actually. And I have a super nerdy fact um, about this. So I do know that the Moscow mule was actually invented in New York City, not in Moscow. It has nothing to do with Russia. And um, the joke at the time, so it was made by basically some bros that were like trying to get people to buy more vodka because they manufactured vodka. So they were like, well, everybody hates vodka. The joke at the time was that vodka was Russian for horrible. So the drink was basically the brainchild of these people that were trying to get Americans to drink more vodka and apparently it worked. So it worked. That's your fact of the day. (laughs) Nice. Well, in other news, (laughs) (laughs) Caroline, what have you got for us? So I am going to Aachen. I fly out in a few days. I'm very excited. I'm a little uh, nervous because I don't speak a single German word. I know how Heidi Klum says Avidasen on America's Next Top Model, and that's it. That's, <laughs> and oh I know Hanoverian. That's it. That's German, right? I mean, that's yeah. I think that's, so. that's sure. it. There it is. Oh, that is honestly like, one of my. Yeah. That's on my bucket list is to do is to go to Aachen. I mean, yes, I'd love to compete at Aachen, but just to go. <laughs> Seriously, it's an unbelievable event. I'm dying to go. I am super excited. And this year is going to be um, kind of like this. Everyone's biting their nails about this dressage showdown. Um, it's 
people are so excited about dressage, which is really exciting to see people that, you know, have never really been that excited about dressage, you know, because they're involved in other disciplines, but everybody is really focused on this showdown between Isabel Worth and Laura Graves. Of course, Laura Graves is an American rider, so we're sort of secretly rooting for her a bit. Um, but Laura won the Grand Prix and the Freestyle at the Nations Cup in Rotterdam. Um, but before that, at the FBI World Cup in Omaha, uh, Isabel Worth beat Laura Graves. And so they've like sort of had this like head-to-head thing going on. And of course, it's a bit shocking because Isabel Worth is the queen of dressage. She's a six-time Olympic medalist, seven world championship titles, 13 European champion, and a 14-time German champion. So basically her resume is more than, I mean, it, that's that's like more than like most riders, you know, like 10 riders combined. And Laura's sort of this like young gun at 30, you know, she's a little bit younger than Isabel, who's kind of unexpected. And there's a, you know, decent amount of change on the line. Um, it's $338,000 American dollars is kind of how it translates. So everybody's really excited to see what happens between Isabel Worth and Laura Graves and the dressage starts on Wednesday. So we'll be posting on heelsdownmag.com um, and keeping everybody updated on the competition there. Well, okay. So Caroline, here's your homework for while you're in Germany. I think you need to come back with a good German drink to share on the show when you get back. Yes. I think that also awesome. that I probably just for quality assurance purposes should drink it first with Michael Young. I feel like I should get him to try that drink with me there. I don't know. There you maybe. go. There you <laughs> go. I, that'd be a good thing. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> my dad and I taught him about bourbon a while back when he was at Kentucky. So oh my gosh. Turn. <laughs> what did he think? Did he love it? I think he was a little terrified of us. <laughs> I he's think like, when he actually met my husband and he's like, oh, you're really married to him. <laughs> like your wife, she's really a talker. <laughs> and she really likes bourbon. My dad's like, oh, this is a way better bourbon. And like talking about all this, I'm pretty sure it was impressive to say oh my the God. least. <laughs> Poor guy. He's like so shy. <laughs> so yes, you should drink with him. I, I say you should. Thank you. Thank you for giving me permission. Yeah, you needed that. It's, it, I think he was terrified of us, literally terrified. Because my father's <laughs> family is from Germany. So then they start talking about that. I'm like, this is getting more and more embarrassing as it's going. Oh, my goodness. Well, so, okay. Justine, what do you have for us? I feel like every couple of weeks, there's always a flare of someone who's pissed off about the blood rule. And of course, this week, it's Scott Brash. Did you guys see what happened with his horse, Hello Forever? Uh, they produced like an unbelievable winning round for his team at the Global, the Global Champions League in, uh, in Portugal. But he was disqualified by the FEI because they found a trace of blood on his horse. Um, it's been em- emphasized since that the horse is fine, you know, everything is fine. And, but there's been a lot of outcry after the fact. And, uh, did you guys see that Facebook post by Miami glory, which was his team for the event? They posted a picture actually of the horse. And I guess the FEI official saw blood on the horse's side, which, you know, maybe from a spur mark. And then it, when you look at this picture on Facebook, it's, it's so small, And it just brings up that argument Mm -hmm. that goes back and forth between these two camps of people on, you know, the rule, the blood rule should be black and white, no blood anywhere, or it calls for disqualification. And then there's this other camp of professionals that say there needs to be a little bit of wiggle room for discussion because clearly the horse wasn't hurt in a case like this, but he was still eliminated. Yeah, that's such a hard thing, I feel, because I allegedly all these people tried to find the spur mark on the horse. So they had several people come and try to find where the blood was on the horse. And it was so small that, um, nobody could really, they were all pointing to different spots. They were kind of like, is this the spur mark? Is this, is this just the horse's skin? Like what's no one could consistently say, Oh, that's where the blood is. And so that is how minuscule it was. And they had just won. It's not like he was, disqualified, you know, and he was like second from last and it was not a big deal and whatever you, you know, put your helmet away and you go home. 
that's tough. He had just won. Um, and that horse put in an amazing round. So I know, you know this, this, this was a good example. So I wrote a story about the blood rule and breaking it down between the disciplines. You know, how does it compare for jumpers versus eventers versus dressage? Um, uh, I think, in the May issue of Heelstown Magazine. And it's really interesting because very clearly this is a heated topic no matter, you know, what discipline you ride. Uh, but like I said, there are people who are very adamant on, you know, nope, blood on the horse, you're disqualified, there's no room for discussion. Mm-hmm. And then, But then you have cases like this, like Scott Brash, where you're, you know, he just put in a, a phenomenal round and the horse is okay. So... And I don't think anybody is is okay with, for instance, like seeing blood come out of the horse's nose or blood come out of the horse's mouth. I, I don't think that anybody is, is like, Oh, that's fine. Uh, whatever horse sports. It's just the way it is. But when these tiny, um, tiny little marks, I mean, so small that the horses, you know, I mean, the horse well, they could couldn't decide which, for, which one it was. Right. I mean, that's the thing is right. it couldn't even find, there was no gaping hole. Right. right. Yeah. So I don't know. The blood rule Ugh. goes on to piss more people off. <laughs> it sure does. So Jess, did you, you have some interesting news? Yeah. So there was another big games going on this past weekend. The Maccabi games. It's like the Jewish Olympics, basically. They have show jumping up to 125 and a little personal note on mine was I went to Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama, and another Auburn alum event rider, Andrea Glazer, was on the show jump team, which is pretty awesome. She's an event rider, had to spend basically all summer learning different horses, getting used to it, because with us, we don't ride, you know, some event people only have a couple of horses, so she spent all summer, like, going around, riding other horses, show jumping a bunch, and I guess it paid off. Their team took silver. So that's pretty cool. She had I think that's um, super interesting. Like how does an event rider get to go to these games as a show jumper? I wonder how like she did... tried out and oh, she was wow. trying out for the dressage team or the show jump team. And she actually thought she'd, I think, I hope I don't misquote her, but I think she told me a while back that she thought she was going to be on the dressage team and then got picked for the show jump team and she didn't really know she's like what because the other three people on the team are grand prix show jumpers two of them i guess these games you can either pick your own horse like out of the draw like from a random stack or you can bring your own and so it just depends on probably financially i mean sure there's a ton of things that go into it but two of the jumpers brought their own horse and then um andrea and another girl picked so also, a meter 25 is, I mean, not especially small. for a vendor, like that is, that's no. not small at all. That's four feet. I mean, and she had to do it on a catch ride. Yeah, wow. that's nuts. <laughs> so pretty impressive to her. They, um, they did amazing. So really exciting. They had a dressage team as well. I think the dressage team took silver as well. They hadn't really posted the results as of now. So I'm sure um, in a couple, but it's pretty awesome. Hey, Caroline, did you watch Rolex this year? Yeah, and do you know what I was drooling over the whole time? Ooh, Boyd Martin? Uh, no, but close. His EcoGold Flip Half Pad. Boyd uses the EcoGold Flip Half Pad because it's not only the highest level of protection for your horse, it's breathable, technically advanced, and it's made from high-resilience foam. And as an added bonus, it can be shimmed to fit any horse that you ride. Well, if it looks as good as Boyd, I'm sold. I think every rider in their lifetime has had a coach that has made them cry or feel terribly about themselves. Or if you haven't had it yourself, you've probably seen it at a horse show in a warm-up ring, a coach just berating this poor student, making them, you know, giving them a million nerves before they head into the show ring. And then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is the coach that's in the warm-up standing silently by the jumps and you're unclear if they're a coach or if maybe they're a parent or a friend or a girlfriend or a boyfriend because they're just sort of standing there setting up jumps and watching their student go around and not really giving them much feedback so you know what's the spectrum like what what kind of is the right thing for you so I took a closer look at this um in 
an article that I wrote for Heels Down magazine. And so my question was, what are the different coaching styles and how do you know what works best for you? And so um, I talked to a few experts and essentially we can break coaching styles down into um, two main different types. So the first type is an autocratic coach. And an autocratic coach is somebody that discourages questions, maybe uses punishment as a form of coaching. Um, think about like military style coaching. So like you do something wrong, drop and give me 50. Uh, and the, they don't really um, encourage feedback from their students. So it's sort of a do what I say type of dialogue. On the other hand, there are democratic coaches. Uh, these are coaches that ask questions and request athlete feedback. So they might say to you in your lesson, how does that feel? Or you jump a line and they say, how do you think that that road? Uh, they typically allow mistakes and they don't get too hung up on that because they just recognize that it's a form of learning. Um, and they prioritize confident athletes and um, they also prioritize the athlete's sort of sense of well-being, whereas an autocratic coach, their main focus is performance and their main focus is winning. And they're not really so in touch maybe with their students' um, kind of emotional state and mental state. So and then there's most people fall somewhere in between. Um, so. Jess, I know that you have a lot of students and I'm, I'm interested to hear sort of what you, uh, what sort of strategies you employ with your students and how do you know who needs what? So I'm probably a little bit in between. I probably have both styles uh, a little bit from where I grew up. I grew up as a hunter jumper rider with the coach always right there, always instructing me. Uh, if you know me personally, silence kind of terrifies me. So I always want somebody <laughs> to like, Hence, we have a podcast so that we can talk Hence for an hour. that I can talk. <laughs> I told David O'Connor one time, you know, he's helping Doug at Samir in France. And he's like, everybody has their own style. If you just want me to sit here, you know, he's very good. David is uh, adapting to the person, you know, that is helping, especially top athletes that kind of have their own system. So he's like, what do you want me to do? Like, do you want me to say a bunch? You know, they're talking in the earphones and I you know, just said to him, I was like, silence absolutely terrifies me. And I was being <laughs> dead serious. He's cause David was the Canadian coach for so long. So he's coached me for years as well as a couple others. And he just literally looked at me and started laughing. He's like, that statement is hysterical and hits you right on the head. Like that defines you. That is so funny. I said, it does. I said, I don't know why he's like, but that's like the thing is, is some people, if their coach isn't, and I feel that I am this way, if my coach isn't sort of saying anything, um, and there's like this long break, I, I look to the center of the ring. Did they die? Like, was it so bad that they just died? Well, that's what like, I think. <laughs> I, can, I must be that horrible <laughs> that you had nothing to say to fix it. That's what Aww. I feel is I'm like, I must look that horrible. In the I wonder dressage. if it's a thing about the way you were raised too. like when your parents use, um, that's like a form of punishment to you when your parents don't yeah. speak to you, you know, that's when they give you that like cold, disappointed look and they just won't speak to you. That's like the worst thing that could possibly happen. And it's just total disapproval. I wonder if it has something to do with do how that. you're raised. So I don't yeah. even know. <laughs> just say you suck it's fine I can handle it <laughs> but then there are there are trainers I'm sure everyone's seen this like on the opposite end of the spectrum where they are just yelling at their kid from across the ring for you know for the entire warm-up oh and then God, the kid sure. then the kid goes in for I've the stadium or jumper round and the the coach is just screaming every stride at the kid and for oh. me like I would be t incredibly embarrassed if that was my coach you know and like think about how much money people pay and parents pay for their kids to, if that, if that isn't a coaching style that works for their kids, that can be really damaging and it can be oh, really yeah. damaging even as an adult. And there, you know, are certain, uh, very high profile coaches in horse sports that have, I mean, there are memes about it where 
they've kind of made their name being like this tough ass, like coach. And like, like it, it's, it's their brand almost. It's their, it's yeah. totally their coaching style. Um, yeah. And if you're like too sissy to handle it, then that makes you feel bad. They get the you hell know? off like, the horse. Yeah. Yeah. Like they don't feel like you're going to cut it in the end. You know, that's what they, yeah, right. I think that's what they believe, but you know, I don't, I'm not one to like sit there and I mean, I can talk really loudly, but I've been yelled at full on screamed at. You look like a moron, all of this. And for me, you know, for my personality, it's totally fine. You can yell and scream and I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to work more at it, everything else. And I'm just going to, it doesn't matter, you know, whereas there's so many kids that like probably would quit riding or cry and it's just not their style. So I kind of, from all of this have kind of adapted to both the adult amateur lady, such as like my mother, she would just get off the horse and leave. Like she'd be like, I'm not paying for this. There's no way. If she got got yelled at. So, you know, you have to adapt to that and say, okay, be a little nicer. But the 16 year old kid, I mean, I'm not going to yell and scream at them, but the same time, I'm a lot more of a dictator, a lot more of, look, this is a plan. You've got to step up to the plate. You've got, you know, if you want to go do well, you've got to do X, Y, and Z and just lay it out for them and say, if you don't really care how you do, don't do X, Y, and Z. And it's still your responsibility. But if you want to wake up at 630 in the morning, cause that's what time your lesson is, that's what we're doing. And so, you know, you have to adapt to people. I feel like Mm -hmm. at least that's Mm -hmm. how I am with my coaching style is I will go and it has to be from one horse to the next as well. One horse might not want you to push it as hard. Whereas the next one, you know, you have to push it hard because if you don't ride it aggressively, it's not going to like it. So it's kind of, right. It needs a firm, a firmer handshake kind of thing. So it just um, sounds like relationship building, you know, and you have to know the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And And I feel that it's, it's too, the thing of, um, in, in horse sports, I mean, most people are not training with a coach every single day. It's very, very different than collegiate sports or other professional sports or high school sports where you go to practice and you're with a coach or you're with other people that are sort of supervising your training. That's not the case for most riders, whether you're a professional or an adult amateur or a junior, you you don't have somebody watching every single ride that you have. So a big part of being a successful coach, and this is what I um, learned from the people that I talked to for this article, is building self-efficacy. It's building the confidence that is necessary for riders to train confidently by themselves. And I feel that this is something that's so relatable. How many times have you had a lesson where you get an amazing you know, response from your horse, you nail whatever you're trying to nail. And then you go home and you try to recreate it yourself and your coach isn't there. And you're like, well, what the hell? Like I got this yesterday. I, you know, I don't know what, what's not connecting. I did it when my coach was watching and now I can't do it. And that's, I think a thing that people struggle with a lot and that's a real confidence killer. And so a big part of being a coach is coaching your students so that they don't have to have a coach all the time. Um, a little bit, you're like, it's almost like you have to work yourself out of a job a bit. But I thought that that was really interesting. And they've conducted studies, um, on how to do that. And the, the results indicate that it's not by, um, it's, it's more by that democratic style of coaching that you build self-efficacy because you're asking the rider, how did that feel? And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're giving you an answer so that that kind of give and take, they're thinking a little bit more for themselves instead of just being fed directions and, oh, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hold the left rein. I'm going to like, you know, put my outside leg back two inches and, uh, you know, they're just kind of responding to directions. Um, so it, and a lot of things comes with practice and comes with time. mm -hmm. You know, I think so many people, once you get involved in a program and that's why not a program where you go every day, but just a program that stays consistent. I think that's key in how to get the most success. You know, I've, I know people do a bunch of clinics and all that, and that's great. And they do that. But I think for me and how my coaching style works, the most is part of a program, even if the programs 
you go ride with this person and all this. I have um, a student that lives in North Carolina because we're already supposed to be there, but we're still in South Carolina. So I use her as an example. They thought we were going to be in North Carolina. She started riding with us. She was 14, 15 at the time. Now she's 17. And she comes down for like a week or two at a time when she's able to. And then she goes and rides with other coaches when she's home, but kind of just a plan. And so once you get comfortable with somebody to say, okay, look, this is what you're going to do. And not you're going to do X on Monday, X on Tuesday, but what are your life goals? What do you want to do? And talking to them about it so that you can form a system, I think helps the most so that you can practice and say, okay, I'm going to try to get this on my own. I'm going to, you know, maybe I get the opportunity to ride with mirrors that Mm -hmm. day or using different tools to help, I think is part of being a coach too. It's not just show up, you know, there are people that show up, have lessons, leave, that's fine. But it's other ones that you invest in that want to be part of the program and want to stay in. And it's, you know, dividing which is which. Yeah. Does this and person think... want to be a part of a program or does this person want to come in for lessons? And neither right. is right or wrong, but, you know, it's just more how you kind of direct coaching as well. You know, you help them out. But a lot of times, if you just came for one lesson, I'm putting band-aids on. I can't really dig in and find what's going on because you only came once. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I think also from the other side of it, from being someone who wants to take lessons, you know, I I think your preferences change over time too. Cause I think when I think back at the best trainers and coaches I've ever had, I immediately think back to the Hunter trainer I rode with for most of my adolescent life from, you know, my first pony until I bought my first green horse until I went away to college. And that woman was a mentor and a mom and someone I looked up to and like you're like you're saying Jess like everything was part of being in her program and I got I was the most successful I've ever been as a rider when I was working with her almost every day of the week you know but then life moves on and I had to I moved and got a different horse and my priorities changed as an adult amateur and I struggled for a while trying to find that next coach So I guess my question, just curious for both of you guys, what you think, you know, like, how do you figure out what works for you and and when it doesn't? And is that okay? Like, it's okay to say this, this system isn't working for me. I need to find someone else. Right. Yeah. So for me, I, um, was, I, when I was younger, I didn't have what you had in that consistent program. And I didn't actually have that until after I graduated college and I moved to Virginia and rode with Kelly Temple full time and, um, was a working student and did, you know, just rode. That's all I did, um, you know, for over a year. And it was the first time that I had really been in a proper program instead of, taking a clinic here and there and taking a lesson here and there, which is kind of what I had always done in the past. Um, you know, I'd had stints where I would work with somebody for a few months and I'd been working student for other people, you know, but it was, I was in school. So it was, you know, three months at a time. It was during the summer. So Kelly's was the first time that I'd had that consistency and it completely changed I mean, it can, it like changed my life. I mean, it, it changed me as a rider. It changed my, um, outlook on what I like wanted to do. Um, I mean, it was, it was incredible to just build that level of trust with somebody. I mean, you know, to have her kind of be invested in my riding career because I'd never had that before. Um, so for me, it was a thing of, um, establishing that kind of relationship with somebody. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, you know, so amazing. Um, but then of course, like you said, you know, life happens and you know, you have to move on and you have to get a job somewhere else and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, I could tell that, I mean, the results, I was having such good results with her that it was very obvious that that program was working for me. I have had trainers though, that, um, in the past, you know, when I was younger, that, I probably should not have been taking lessons with, especially in your formative years. But even as an adult, there are some trainers that really can make you doubt how good you are on a horse. Um, and those kinds of relationships are the ones that um, 
I see happen and they, you know, with other people and they really concern me because I don't think that people know when it's the right time to leave. And it's almost like this weird Stockholm syndrome kind of thing that, that trainers and students have, or that students have with their trainers rather, where they feel that they can't explore other options. They're tied to their trainer for life. It's like if an umbilical cord it's, and that's, And it's sad, tough. Yeah. It's sad too, because I think you should be able to, I think a lot of it's like any relationship has to be about communication once it's, and being honest, I guess, with yourself, like, is that truly working is, and I think that's the hardest thing is to be honest with yourself and saying, am I producing the results I want? Am I putting in, you know, without making the excuses of why I didn't ride yesterday or I didn't do this. And so it's hard to make that call. And I think a lot of it has to do with communication, like, you know, maybe talk to a good friend about it, somebody who's going to be honest with you and say, look, am I in the right situation? And it, you know, might be what's just the only situation you have. Maybe it's what you feel is the only situation you have. But I think in the end, it is so many people stick with it and just kind of settle and say, well, I think it's the best I could do instead of just being saying, okay, I could actually explore more options. Maybe they're not the easiest option, but there are other options. One thing that I can suggest kind of from my time sort of exploring and jumping around between um, kind of lesson to lesson is I've never had a trainer tell me that I couldn't come watch a lesson before I took a lesson. Uh, That is something that, I mean, and most of them I knew ahead of time, so it wasn't I was, I wasn't cold calling trainers being like, can I come watch you train your students? But I, I feel that that is, if you know the trainer and especially if you ask permission from the student, you know, if it's a friend of yours, can I come watch your lesson? I just want to see how your trainer coaches you. That's a really good tool to, that is a great idea. That's really good. That's great to see how other people coach. And again, I've done that probably 10, 15 times, I've never had anybody, especially if you, if it's your friend and you offered a video, they're like, Oh, hell yeah, come on. Like we'll get a beer afterwards. Like it'll be great. So, um, I highly recommend that for people that, you know, and you can just sneak away and you're not taking your horse off the property. So your trainer won't, you know, be suspicious. I'm not promoting sneaking behind your trainer's back or anything like that, but there's no harm in exposing yourself to how other people do things. It's, it's, you should do it. It's kind of your, you know, your duty as an athlete, I feel. Absolutely. I mean, that's how I honestly, I've ridden with Jan Benny for 10 plus years and she's more than just a coach. She's like a very, very mm-hmm. close, close friend. She's been like my life coach for so many years. Aww. I mean, trust me, she's like had to listen to it all, I'm sure. And she is, she's incredible, but we mesh so well. She can, it's funny. She like, when I first started dating and then got married and everything else, and he'd help me. And sometimes, I mean, we work very well together and it works, but there'll be moments in every relationship that I'm like, you're not saying what Jan tells me to do. And he's, <laughs> I, I use that excuse. All, I mean, not excuse. I literally, he's not telling me what Jan told me to do. So I'm like, that's not working. And she tells me differently. So I'm not listening to you today. And so <laughs> he's like, he calls Jan up and he goes, she's coming for two weeks because she's starting to tell me once again, that I'm not you. That's <laughs> so, <funny. aw. laughs> she ships me up once again with my horses to Jan, but she's incredible. You know, I mesh with her. We same thing. I knew her coaching style and knew it was what I kind of needed at that time. And I had ridden around advanced, but not around Rolex at the time. And she's helped me with anything from my young horses to my big horse. And I, you know, truly, truly appreciate it. But the same thing, I think it'd be great to say, Hey, move um, if it needed to move on, I'm not going to probably ever move on from Jan. But if somebody said, Hey, look, like, I think there's somebody better go watch the lesson. See if that meshes well, see if that's what you kind of need. I think that's great advice. All right, guys. So I just got the new wall grooming tool set. Have you guys seen this yet there? It's just like, you know, brushes and all your grooming stuff in one basic kit but what i love what wall is doing is they're coming in super fun cool colors so i got like a turquoise set 
and they stand out in my box and everybody's like, where did you get those? Because they're so cool and colorful. I love Walt. Here's the thing, you guys, here is the thing about Wall is you can get, you oh, can gosh. buy <laughs> the, this is Caroline's soapbox. Um, <laughs> you're listening. You can buy the Honda Accord of grooming products, or you can buy the Rolls Royce of grooming products because it's so well made. And I have had some of their products for forever, including their clippers, which is a whole nother topic, but their stuff lasts forever. You buy it once and you have it. I mean, as long, certainly like, Oh my, my God. I've, I've gone through several horses with, with their clippers and their grooming tools and it lasts. Caroline, I have a pair of clippers, like face clippers that I got as a gift when my parents bought me my first pony when I was like nine years old. Oh my God. I love it. Seriously. And those oh things are still kicking. They're still in my tack trunk at the barn. That's awesome. I, I love that. And yeah, their colors are super beautiful and cool. The turquoise color is gorgeous. Everybody at my barn is like, where do you get this stuff? And I'm like, well, you know, perks of the job, but wall is freaking amazing. Did you guys watch great meadow this past weekend? I did. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. Did you know it's the only eventing nation's cup in the United States? I did and not know that. Wow. The last one is in the fall, correct? At Bocolo. So it's yes. leading up to that. Yes. There are actually nine nation's cups for eventing throughout the world. And Great Meadow was the fifth of them. And then the last is at Bucolo in, I believe, in October. October yeah. November, so it was end. so exciting to see um, other teams come from yeah, across the Yeah, it was exciting. Pond. Yeah. It helped. Um Great Britain's actually in first in the standings with Germany in second and the U.S. in third. Fourth is the Netherlands and fifth is Italy. So that's pretty exciting. And um, the U.S. did well this weekend. So can you tell us about kind of what happened there? Yes, it was it was an awesome one. We were glued to the TV uh, watching from dressage to start. Jenny Brannigan won for the second year in a row or sorry, not in a row. She won two years ago on Kimbalda on the same horse, which is pretty incredible. It's incredible. I love that horse. And she does such a great job. I mean, she's a true, true athlete in herself. So it was pretty impressive to watch her win for the second time. And then Lynn Szymanski was second and Philip was third. So that had the U.S. win the Nations Cup because those Hell were all yeah. three team members. Yes. But yes, so, Jess, wasn't Doug supposed to be on the team? Yes, it was pretty sad. He um, broke his collarbone on a young horse jumping. Oh, so, Doug. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so it kind of changed. The team members, but we're glad that the U.S. could represent so well and bring in first, second, and third. Uh, he was sad, so he's still recovering from his collarbone, and I think it was kind of painful for him to watch the whole weekend and be like, oh, I could be there. And yeah. Oh, so, poor guy. Yeah. Uh, so the jump, so it kind of sucked. When... So I know that he was notified um, that he was going to be, you know, invited and everything. Like, what's the behind the scenes of that? Do you, you guys, I, in my head, they, everyone's standing around a landline and it's like the seventies and like everyone's <laughs> gathered waiting. around a phone waiting for it to <laughs> ring. And then confetti just shoots out of the ceiling when, when you get the call. It, am I right? Am I? Not really, not really, (laughs) (laughs) but that's good dreaming though. I mean, that'd be pretty incredible. And then you actually register and you submit your online event entry, basically, just like you would at any other event. So you, because we knew we were going anyways, we just didn't know if you're going as an individual or a team member. So in this case, it didn't really matter. We were going to Great Meadow. Well, we thought we were going to Great Meadow prior to the accident. So the horse was ready to go, fit, everything's ready. And then we got notified kind of late, um, in my opinion, but it's obviously what the U.S. decided to do. But they just called and said, 
you've been selected for the team. Here's some details about it and told another team members and said, don't say anything. We're going to make a public announcement about it later this afternoon. And then you see the press release that comes out with the team members, with the two alternates, just in case, unfortunately, something like this happens. So as soon so you as- you know a little bit ahead, but not that far ahead of everybody, no. uh, of the general public. No, like within 24 hours of the general oh, public, wow. we find out. So it's not, and you don't, I mean, we didn't know exactly when it was going to be announced. I mean, you had kind of a sort of a time frame, but it wasn't at 6 p.m. They're going to call you and then confetti comes out. That doesn't quite happen. Santa didn't Doug, call you? <laughs> Santa no. doesn't come down your chimney? No, Santa doesn't come. So <laughs> unfortunately, uh, when he broke his collarbone, that's one of the first phone calls we had to make so that they could then notify Boyd, um, I believed was the first alternate, notified him to say, hey, you're now stepping up and you're on the team. And then Bucksource had some sort of laceration. So then it was later on, he was at the event and then Lynn stepped up. So thankfully they were still first, second, and third with Jenny, Lynn, and Philip to bring home the gold. But we were sad to watch from home, but excited that they pulled it through. So I know that there was, um, we, we would sort of be remiss to not to bring this up. Um, we're all really thinking about Justine Dutton. I know she had a really, um, really gnarly fall at Great Meadow this weekend. Um, have you gotten any updates? I know that she, you know, has, has several injuries. She has kind of a laundry list of injuries. She posted, she got her phone and then posted on Facebook. It's the only thing that I've seen was on her personal page that she has, I think this is correct, but she has some broken ribs, shoulder, collarbone, and then has um, some injury to her lungs. I think a collapsed lung or something, but is Yikes. up talking. Yeah. So she's, she's awake and it was a pretty bad fall. So we're very, very thankful that everything's okay in the sense of she can make a full recovery, it sounds like, which is pretty incredible. So is her it's, horse okay? The horse is okay. She did say as well that the horse is okay. And I think it is actually back home and she's still at the hospital in Virginia and okay. probably will be there for a little bit, but we're Definitely after that fall is very good. Thinking about she's her. Okay. That's yes. Scary. Yes. Very. And it's unfortunately the name of the game when it comes to horses, but very thankful it wasn't anything worse. I know it's still really bad for her and she's in a ton of pain, but glad she is going to be okay. So, um, Jess, you can maybe weigh in a little bit about this, but Nations Cups are sort of an interesting thing because, um, obviously, horseback riding is a largely individual sport. And, and so when you have these teams that are sort of built together for things like Nations Cup or, you know, bigger championships, um, it's kind of an interesting way to... Um, to make the sport kind of more exciting and, and get spectators really involved. So what is, you know, with, with Doug, you talked a little bit about what the, um, you know, how he's notified and everything, but, um, as far as having teammates in horse sports and sort of, um, what, like, what is the team experience like, you know, for nation's cups? I think it's pretty incredible because you get to actually pull together. Not that eventing's a little bit, um, I mean, I don't know personally for show jumping and dressage, but it's very much a team atmosphere already. Like everybody kind of talks about the course and you have your friends that, you know, their horse is very similar to you. How did the course ride? You're asking your coaches. So everybody kind of works together already. So I think it makes it maybe not a little more fun would be the right word, but exciting experience to say, Hey, look, let's go as a team and try to go for this. Point yeah, and so you like you have other people it. counting on you. Like it's not yeah. just your that matters. It puts some pressure on you, and it yeah. not that you're not putting pressure on yourself, but it's like okay, I don't just have myself and my owners and my sponsors and supporters. I have also other teammates that it does make a difference what happens, and so I think it kind of is fun and a good way to put people in that atmosphere and put that in that situation so they get to practice, and it's not just the first time when hopefully you go to some sort of team experience where the world, the Pan Ams or the Olympics. So I think it's fun. So Jess, I know 
this year was a little different in that the U.S. didn't have a coach, right? No, there's no official coach uh, per se. So they at kind all. of at all. At all. No, no. at all. There's so no eventing. American US eventing. There is not. Why? Why? They haven't named one. They actually have applications coming in to see a long list of what the title will be. But basically, right now they've had it where you kind of bring in your own coaches and your own support system as named riders for the high performance list and then work with who you're working with. And David was the technical advisor and kind of oversaw it. And then he stepped down. So now there's nobody really. So Doug was asking, I asked Doug, I said, well, obviously I help you sometimes. And his mother was going to help him in the dressage, but Philip was going to walk the cross country with everybody so that he could, add, you know, he was on the team. So and like, was gonna... Yeah. He was riding as well. So he would have had to like also kind of play coach too, since um, he coaches David O'Connor. Well, yeah, but like to, because there wasn't just a designated, um, there wasn't a designated coach for this. So Philip kind of had to do, to do both, I guess. Yeah, um, he kind of filled in David, uh, David and David O'Connor stepped down um, as the U.S. Eventing Technical Advisor, I believe, in May. Is that that's correct? So it's it's yeah. my point is it's been a couple of months, and now they're trying to hire someone. They just haven't named anybody yet, so it's kind of in limbo. And it, they're actually not the only country that doesn't have a coach. The Canadian team doesn't for eventing doesn't have a coach either. Yeah, Clayton it's an interesting down. So. It's eh, it's a little interesting right now, and we'll see what happens when they name. I mean, they're going to need to name somebody for the World Games next year, so we'll see. But right now, Philip stepped up for the show for the cross country, and then for the show jumping, I think they had uh, Silvio and Richard, Silvio Mazzoni and Richard Pickens, who were there to help if people needed it. Do you ever wish you could just forget about the real world and just be with your horse all the time? Well, yeah, me too, but you can't. But Heels Down Magazine is the next best thing. Every month, there's a new digital issue with riding exercises, news, videos, grooming tips, interactive fashion photo shoots, and interviews with the top pro riders in show jumping, dressage, and eventing. You can subscribe and download on your iPhone and iPad in the App Store or Google Play on Android. So you guys, before we wrap up, do you want to play a game? Sure. Uh, sure. <laughs> Justine is like, I'm all for it. No, H E double hockey stick. <laughs> no, later days, I'm out of here. Um, okay, well, I want to play a game. It's called Rose and Thorn, um, and it's not a drinking game. I'm sorry. Okay. No, but all you have to do is uh, the rose. You say what the best thing either coming up or within the past week that is going to happen or has happened. And the thorn is the worst. So Jess, oh. what is your rose and thorn? Oh, mine probably go hand in hand. My thorn would be Doug Brooke's collarbone. That was pretty upsetting. And the rose part of it would be, we're going to go to Charleston and spend a couple days because he is broken. And <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, you guys are both like medical conditions right now too because you're <laughs> pregnant. He's broken. Like I've had to step up to the plate and ride more horses. I'm like, oh, oh so, my goodness. At least all I of think ours you are guys really did good. this on purpose so that you could go take a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I do not think he thinks that that would be fun because we were supposed <laughs> to be in Charleston for a horse show. So oh, no. it's yeah, so we're gonna Girl, go to the Austin actual is the city. Best, the I best know. place on the planet. I Ugh. love it. So, Justine, what are you doing? Or what is your rose and thorn? Not what are you doing? All right, my rose and thorn. I guess my rose is that I can finally ride my horse because he's been lame this last week, just like a foot soreness because it won't stop raining here, and he decides like he has a completely dry pasture but stands in the one muddy spot. And made his feet sore like a He's big like, dummy. I like this spot, mom. This is my spot. Don't make me move. 
So after buying like so much Caratex products this last week, he's finally like not lame on the lunge line yesterday. And I was like, oh, thank God I'm going to ride tomorrow. So uh, that is my my rose and my thorn is uh, I'm in moving hell right now. I bought my first house. Woohoo. Um, but yeah, now that is awesome. Yeah, it's awesome and yeah. scary, and uh, now I'm in the thick of it, and I'm like, why the hell did I do this? Because <laughs> I'm moving, <laughs> and everything's expensive, uh, but maybe next week it will be my rose, because I'll be living in my house. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So what about you, Caroline? Uh, my, I'll do my thorn first, so that we can end on a happy note. <laughs> um, <laughs> my thorn is that my horse actually was just diagnosed with Lyme disease. Oh, no. Yeah. So um, she is being treated with a lot of Oxytet. She's a really, she's like such a good patient. She's being a real trooper about it. Um, But she, you know, had like a, this weird, like wandering lameness and like we couldn't really pinpoint it and figure it out. And uh, it kind of makes sense now that we know that it was Lyme disease. So, um, yeah, check your horses for ticks, uh, people, because it this really sucks. But um, so that's my thorn. My rose. I mean, my rose is that I get to go to Aachen. I mean, yeah. that's pretty- seriously, yeah. <laughs> that beats Charleston any day, by the way. I mean, not to show you up, Jess, but <laughs> that shows me up by like a thousand percent. <laughs> And I'm actually staying over for a few days um, after the show ends to meet up with a couple of friends and my boyfriend, and we're going to um, go kind of eat our way through Belgium. I think we're just going to wow. like, eat and drink our way through Belgium for a few days. So yum, um, pretty. We'll excited. have an awesome time. Yeah, yeah. can't wait to hear once you get back. Thanks. So if you want to hear more from us, check out Heels Down Magazine. It's an interactive digital magazine on your phone or tablet, so you can take it anywhere. You can download it on iTunes or Google Play, and you can also check out our website at heelsdownmag.com. And don't forget to tune in for Heels Down Happy Hour twice a month, the second and last Friday of each month. So, guys, cheers to... Cheers. Cheers. What are we cheersing to? We have to cheers to something. Cheers to... Aachen. To, to Aachen. Aachen. yeah. Cheers to Aachen. Woo! Woo! Cheers.